When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. You're tuned in to Grip It and Rip It, sponsored by LB's Meat Market. We're going to get started here in a second, but first, let's hear from LB's. Grip It and Rip It with Brian Scott Rippey is brought to you by LB's Meat Market. LB's, the preeminent butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi, the place to go for any and all of your meat needs. Just right now, they've got the Lane Train Special, a six-ounce bacon-wrapped filet for $10. they got fresh seafood, grill packs, and a lot of different types of sausages. Put simply, if your grill is in need of meat, the only place to go in Oxford, Mississippi, is LB's Meat Market. Give them a call today at 662-259-2999. That's 662-259-2999. Stop by and see them at 2008 University Avenue. That's just across the street from Kroger. It's LB's Meat Market, your butcher shop in Oxford, Mississippi. Rippy, Colin Bristol on the other end. This is the LB's post-game show. Coming out to you a day later. We had a night game last night. Um, we didn't figure anybody would be up at 11.45 at night listening to uh, us babble about Ole Miss in South Carolina. But as usual, uh, Colin Brister on the other end. We'll discuss Ole Miss's 59-42 win over South Carolina. What's up? Not much. Not much. It was a, uh, it was a big night in Oxford. It was a big night. They... Uh... Man, they just didn't stop scoring. I think like, they didn't score on like two possessions or so. Um, so yeah, just 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 a fun night. Well, I guess three because they didn't score at the end. But yeah, I w- that was fun. That was fun. It was. Ole Miss is playing a fun brand of football. I'm not sure it's necessarily a great brand of football in the <laughs> sense that we're going to score every time and then see if the other team doesn't score once or twice throughout a game and checkmate. But. <laughs> This is kind of their formula, right? I mean, 59-42 is, is a little extreme from what I thought this game would go. But Ole Miss winning and covering what jumped all the way to a 13-point spread, which uh, Kedron Smith shout out there at the end uh, for the pass breakup, his fourth of the evening and probably the most important in Vegas. Um, this is kind of how I saw this playing out, right? Like if Ole Miss was going to win and cover that spread, you know, I was thinking – you know, 45, 24, something like that. This was a little more extreme, but not totally surprising. No, no. I mean, look, Ole Miss can't stop anybody right now. I mean, they get the three stops at the end when South Carolina's having to push it. Um, obviously, they were up three, got a big stop, and, and pushed the lead out to 10. That, that was the that was the ball game for all intents and purposes. So, um, 
yeah, I, I, I didn't know how this game was going to look. I knew Ole Miss wasn't going to necessarily stop South Carolina's rushing attack. I watched them some earlier this year, and I thought, wow, that's a matchup problem. And it was. Um, but South Carolina had absolutely nothing for Elijah Moore. Um, and I do mean that, nothing. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a good win for Ole Miss, man. That, uh, that's, uh, that's one you had to have, right? It felt like kind of – I don't want to say a must win in year one, but, man, if there was anything uh, that could be a must win in year one, that was it. Yeah, you're exactly right. Like, it's weird to call really anything a must-win in year one, particularly in this type of season. But if you were going to seize any sort of momentum from whatever, you know, however legitimate you viewed this season, and I say that just because, you know, the news in the recent weeks about, you know, cancellations and all that hasn't been good, and it seems, for the lack of a better phrase, to just kind of have turned into a shit show with the way the cases of COVID are rising around the country, affecting college football programs. But to your point, like if there was ever any sort of way to grab momentum in year one and, you know, call it a success and build into year you needed to win this game because that now you get you to three and four. Whereas if you'd have been two and five, you look at A&M, LSU and state differently because it's kind of like, well, if you didn't beat this half with South Carolina team other than state, like, can you really count on beating LSU? This was important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So now you go into, I don't think they play A&M on Saturday. Um I, I just don't. So I think your next game's the Egg Bowl. Um, and you look at it, if you beat Mississippi State, which you should, I think Ole Miss will be an 11 or 12-point favorite over Mississippi State, uh, who will have to go to Athens, Georgia next week and deal with a team that just lost to Florida. I'm sure they'll be excited. Um, so I, I think Ole Miss beats Mississippi State. You're 4-4, four and four and you have LSU and Texas A&M. I don't know what order they'll come in. Um, man, but if you can win one of them and get to 5-5, five and five, what a great first season for uh, Lane Kiffin that would be. Yeah, so just a quick note what you were alluding to, and I'm sure most people listening to this have seen and heard, but the Ole Miss Spirit reported David Johnson on, I think, Thursday that this game was 99%. He used the phrase canceled in the headline. I think he just meant not happening next weekend because there sure. is an opportunity for this to get postponed. Has A&M already had a game postponed? They Tennessee's have. They last have, week, well, right? Yeah, they had Tennessee's last week. What I think they'll do is uh, – See, and I don't want to get too far in the weeds on this, but the SEC's got a little bit of a problem because what they were planning on doing, and stay with me here. All right, let's preface this. Alabama and Florida are going to play in the SEC championship, right? Unless something weird happens, yes. December 19th, okay. So what the SEC was going to do is make up games on December 12th and then other make up games on December the 19th with the championship still going on, right? You still with me? Yeah. Okay, so Alabama and Florida both have to play LSU before December the 19th. Right. Because Alabama and Alabama and Florida both missed games against LSU. So I think there's going to be some schedule rearrangements starting this week. Um, I, I, I don't know. I just – the math says that somebody's going to have to they, – they've got to move either LSU-Alabama or LSU-Florida up a week, uh, which moves somebody back a week. So I don't know how that's going to turn out. I think it's possible that what happens is um, they move LSU Florida in the LSU Ole Miss spot, and they move LSU Ole Miss back a week. So I don't know. It, it's a mess right now, but they're going to have to do something. And I don't think uh, anybody expects Ole Miss's schedule to to play out like it looks on the schedule right now. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And you know, I guess the other school of thought, if you're thinking, well, these games doesn't 
really matter? Why not just either have Florida or Alabama just not play LSU? And while no one expects LSU to beat or really compete with either of those teams, that's not really fair to Georgia and A&M who are kind of on the outside looking in, but still have a very outside shot if something got weird. No, no, yeah. I mean, look, if I'm I'm, uh, Georgia, no, uh, Florida needs to play LSU. Look, do I think LSU wins? No, but they need to go play the game. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, anyway, yeah, so not really sure what next week brings. It may bring a game. It may bring an off week for Ole Miss. It probably is not bringing Ole Miss to College Station to play um, unless something dramatic happens. But, you know, you never know with this COVID testing stuff. You know, they've kind of – I get the protocols and all that, but they've kind of put themselves – or tied their hands behind their back a little bit with the contact tracing, right? Because one case uh, caused Missouri to miss a game because the rest of the position group – from the kid who caught it, got caught up in the contract tracing protocols, which dropped him under the threshold at a certain position. Had to be, Two had cases, to be O-line. Had to be O-line, right? Had to I would be. assume so, yeah. I, that was kind of what I was getting to next. And then, you know, Texas A&M, I think two cases caused it. I get the protocols. I'm not here to argue them. I'm not going like coronavirus truther on you. But it is. it does make things difficult with the contract tracing protocols being as stringent and probably a little over the top. But be that as it may... You know, next week, not unknown, which probably makes this win taste and feel even better for Ole Miss. The reason, the difference in this game, uh, as you kind of alluded to, Ole Miss did get one very important stop in the fourth quarter when South Carolina trailed by three. Offense capitalizes on it uh, with about 12 minutes left. I guess they had long run from that Harris kid, uh, short run, gain of four, run for no gain, and then they sacked him on fourth down and forced a punt, which was probably the biggest play of the game because once Ole Miss scored for all intents and purposes, that game was probably over. So when you talk about legitimate stops as defense got, that's really where this game swung. Yeah, absolutely. You just felt like, look, Ole Miss got stopped one time in the four, in the second half, and you felt like if you could get that stop back that you would walk out of there with a win. Otherwise, it was going to be last team with the ball. And, and Ole Miss, look, to their credit, look, they, they were awful on defense last night. We can get into that some. But – um. They they made the play when they had to. I thought it was a horrible call by Mike Bobo to run whatever in God's name that was um, on third down. But, you know, thankful for him. Um, But, you know, they made a play. And and, and as funny as it sounds to say they got one stop and it turned the game, that's literally what it was. They they didn't let South Carolina continue to go serve for serve with Ole Miss's offense. And that changed the game because South Carolina had absolutely no prayer of stopping Ole Miss – in the fourth quarter last night. Yeah, I agree. Like, I mean, like, it's 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 almost like it sounds like a joke, but, like, that really is Ole Miss's blueprint. You got to score pretty much every time you get the ball. And I think, and we'll get to Corral in just a second because that's really probably the story of this game from a positive light. You know, he's handled that immense pressure really well. I mean, the stress this offense has every time it goes out on the field to score, and that's probably – I know it happened in no man's land a couple times, but it is kind of hilarious to see Kiffin not even balk at a fourth and ten. Uh, <laughs> over midfield. Over but I think that just underscores and eludes the pressure this offense faces. And the blueprint to win is, can your defense generate you know, a stop or two in the second half at a crucial time to flip the game? And that's, that's what happened. That's how they won this game. And you know, we'll get to defense in a second because I do have some thoughts about, you know, I do think the way they fix this is in recruiting, but there are some things that they've clearly regressed from. But let's start with the positive. Matt Corral. Holy shit. He's got, what, seven incompletions in his last two ball games? Throws for 513 yards, four touchdowns, no turnovers. I believe that is, I'm not a math guy, that's 925 yards 
10 touchdowns, zero interceptions, and oh, seven completions in his last two games. Yeah, yeah, it's absurd. Let's see. I, I had it down. I see. Yeah, his last two games. Here we go. Uh, 59 of 66, 925 yards, 10 touchdowns, no picks, 89% for 13.4 yards per attempt. That'll hunt. <laughs> they ran the wishbone last year. That throw he made to Braylon Sanders just made me mad at Rich Rodriguez. He threw a 55-yard dime that landed right in this kid's hand. Without really making it look like he had to put any ass behind it. You know what I mean? It flung out of his hand pretty effortlessly. Yeah. Yeah. That dude's going to get, uh, he's going to be a second or third round NFL pick and he's going to be there a while. Well, you know, Dilfer, Trent Dilfer, who runs the, is it Elite 11 or whatever yeah. his quarterback yeah. thing runs when Corral came out of high school, said he had one of, if not the strongest arms he's ever seen. And yeah, I think you're seeing that on display, man. He can, he can sling it. But, one of the things that was interesting to me in watching some of the post-game stuff this morning, like, if you don't really trust the results, I don't really know how you can't trust those numbers that we just alluded to, even if it comes against Jackson Academy, who beat Prep Saturday, uh, Friday That's night. That's what I was supposed to say. Were you, were you going to mention that? I know. I feel like I couldn't lead with that because it would just make people mad. But uh, shout out to the uh, JD JA Mighty Raiders in uh, toppling that. They, you know, they're gonna they're gonna be the MRA Friday. Uh, I don't know anything about MRA, but I'm gonna say yes, just cause. So there you go. Uh, Navy and silver reign supreme. But anyway, if you don't trust those numbers, the way he's answering questions in the post game, he got a question last night about the obviously I think was the highlight of the game, the 91 yard touchdown pass to Elijah Moore that saw Kiffin's clipboard almost hit Glenn Waddle up in the press box. <laughs> um, but hold on, let me, I had this pulled up a second ago and I want to get to this quote because this was one among a couple that I thought stood out. So he said, here it is. We got isolation and we caught a double move. I saw rotation to the left. They rolled to the field and I didn't want that boundary safety to get to Elijah because I knew Elijah was going to beat him one-on-one. I wasn't even really worried about that guy, so I pumped backside and didn't want to overthrow Elijah because he was running naked. And that was one of a couple different answers he had in the postgame to where, even if you don't trust it, South Carolina's secondary sucks. Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt. But he's understanding this offense and seeing the field, I think, better than he's ever seen in his career. And I think what he's saying after games is indicative of that. Yeah, look, he had a he had a clear mind of what they want to do. I think Kiffin said they wanted to roll into some because uh, they apparently on that play Matt called an audible and and they knew if they could get that coverage that Elijah could beat whoever it was one on one, and he did. And you know, th- some credit needs to go there to that offensive line because it took a while for that play to develop, and Matt didn't really have much pressure on that play. Um, he pumps fakes once, he lets Elijah get forty five yards down the field, and then he doesn't overthrow it. He underthrows it, frankly, which is really smart because there wasn't anybody within 15 yards of Moore. Um, so, yeah, man, look, the, the kid's special. Um, I, I, we can get into this if you want. I have a hard time believing that unless Ole Miss just doesn't win enough games because of the defense next year, this kid's not a Heisman finalist. I, I didn't say win it, but you think about what's leaving this with Fields and Mac Jones and Trask and uh, Trevor Lawrence, obviously. This kid's got a chance to be in New York next year. Well, and I know, I agree, I agree. And I think, you know, ifs, ands, or buts, like I hate doing the, well, if this didn't happen, this would have happened thing. But for the sake of the, the point you brought up, if you do take out the Arkansas game, he should already kind of be on the, you know, the back page of the Vegas odds, I guess, for the lack of better. You know sure. what I mean? Like, 
slightly in the conversation, I think he would firmly be, now granted, even if the Arkansas game hadn't happened, Ole Miss is not winning at a consistent enough rate for him to really be in the conversation. No. But from a sheer raw numbers perspective, if that six interception game doesn't happen, his numbers are right there with all of them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he'd still be a little behind Trask. I actually went through this last night. Trask is going to win the, the Heisman, assuming he doesn't get COVID. Um, it's going to be kind of a walk away, too. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Look, losing Elijah Moore, and I do think Elijah goes pro after this year. I don't know that. I don't have any intel. I just think the kid's a second-round pick and, and is going to get a lot of money to go play football, and most people that do that usually go pro. Um, so, but, you know, do, do I think he's completely replaceable? Absolutely not. I do think Ole Miss has a plethora of uh, a plethora of skill players on the offensive side of the football that can can somewhat come in and and, and not completely replace, but – do a pretty good job of replacing what he leaves next year. I would go a step further. If Moore continues to produce at this level, I think he gets picked in the first round. Yeah, it's not unfair at all. Um, yeah, so I just worry. I wonder, and, and to the NFL's credit, they don't really worry about this too much. I just worry if they get hung up on his size. I just think if you look at him for what he is as a slot receiver, like, I mean, I, I, this is they're not remotely the same players at all. But if you can get open and you you can get open, and I think like Tyreek Hill is an example of that. Now, obviously, sure. his speed sets him apart. But, you know, if you can get open and the way he runs routes, you know, if you're open, you're open. And NFL open doesn't really require a ton of space. And I think he's a good enough route runner to overcome the lack of size, particularly if he's used the correct way. Oh, absolutely agreed. Um, I just – we'll see. I, but I think for the – the grander point is we don't expect Elijah Moore back at Ole Miss next year. Um, so you're going to have to replace that, but that's probably the only replacement you're going to have to have unless there's one big asterisk, unless Jerry Ely hits really well in baseball this year, then you might have to replace the second one. I would be, I would still bet towards the camp that he's a football player. Ooh, I wouldn't. Really? No, I, I, I think – and look, this isn't based on, you know, inside knowledge or anything. I just think, you know, they moved the draft up for baseball this year. And I, I don't think this kid's turning down. I mean, I don't know this. Look, he turned down a lot of money two years ago to go pro or, I mean, to stay in college. But, I mean, you offer him three and a half, four million dollars. Is he really going to turn that down? But is that happening this year? Yeah, because they moved the draft up. Um, so his eligibility um, or his birthday allows him to be drafted after his sophomore year now. If I, I if I'm, I'm pretty sure Kendall Rogers said that. I did not know he was a birthday kid. That's interesting. But man, he'd have to hit a ton. Like that's a short he amount would, of time to raise that but, stock. Could I get his toolsy? But well, ooh. would he have to hit it? Because like I think if he hits 280, and we're talking baseball now, I think if he hits 280, he, he's a first round pick because he's. I mean, it just electric in center field which was kind of shot like I, I don't mean to correlate football and bath in baseball but god almighty you can see why that kid is is special on a baseball field by the way he runs a football yeah that is also very true too before we get to the running backs and receivers because i do have some interesting thoughts on 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 that one last encompassing thought on corral and the quarterback thing the last two three i guess it's two games but three ish weeks have been i think pretty important for both corral and Ole miss because you left the Auburn game with a little bit of like a seed of doubt about kind of sure. okay, what's the future there? What's happening? Like, what is what? Are you, what's going on here? And I think you know the most. I wrote a couple uh, during Ole Miss's bye week that I think the most important thing from an offensive standpoint is Corral putting together a string of good games and playing consistently for what would be the longest stretch of his career. 
Because if he can solidify and be like and kind of I guess assure you know everyone around the program, fans, whatever, that he is the guy, then he's going into the offseason with the same coordinators and head coach for the first time in his career, yeah. running the same system. So his play down the back back end of the season is important, and obviously this was a huge step in the right direction. He he's been flawless basically. Yeah, and that's something I thought about last night too. He's had three different coaches, um, offensive coordinators in the past three years, and I don't expect Jeff Levy to go anywhere next year. But man, he's doing a great job. Um, I don't because I don't think a ton of Power Five jobs are coming open, and I don't think my man's interested in taking a. I, I mean, I think he's a Power Five head coach within the next two years. So, um, if he continues to produce like this, so and then, and again, I don't think a ton of Power Five jobs are coming open besides maybe like. Vanderbilt I guess Michigan could come open um but he I don't think he'd be in play there um so he's gonna probably still be in Oxford next year which is just massive for Corral who's going to be in his second year with the system and is already putting up absurd numbers in the first year so next year's got a chance to be really really fun man it, it, I think Ole Miss look everybody wants COVID to be eradicated or whatever but man if you're an Ole Miss fan you really would like this to go be gone by the time next August or September rolls around because that, especially if you're in Ole Miss's like uh, season ticket sales department or whatever, because man, you're going to sell out of season tickets in a instant. I agree, absolutely. And as we kind of transition to receivers, you alluded to it earlier. I mean, the simple fact offensively in this game, Ole Miss didn't even run the football that well. They ran at 195 yards and scored four touchdowns. But they ran it 48 times, and, you know, 4.2 yards of rush is nothing really to, like, scoff at. But the difference in this game was Elijah Moore. Ole Miss had no I – mean, South Carolina had no answer for him. 13 catches, 225, two touchdowns. Back-to-back 225-yard games. That's three 200-yard games this season. That seems okay. I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here talking about next year real quick. Um, so, so just so you know, we were t- I was talking about this with some friends last night after the game. Um, Liberty comes to Oxford next year. Is Hugh Freeze the coach of Liberty when they come to Oxford next year? I say he just signed that extension, which really doesn't mean a ton. Doesn't right? mean anything. No. No, yeah. because those mid level mid tier schools buyouts are really nothing. So it doesn't right. really mean Jack anything. But as you mentioned to about you know potentially losing Levy, probably not because not a ton of jobs are coming open. And and weird way to say this Freeze has the ability to be selective. He's going to continue to win at Liberty by all accounts. So does he just wait one more year? I think he seems comfortable and happy there. I mean, read into that what you want. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a good fit for a, uh, a number of different reasons. But does he wait until the next cycle when it's more normal and more guys get canned? And that being said, you know, it's not a complete uncertainty that, you know, Muschamp gets canned or no. whoever. Does he take the South Carolina gig? Do they take Napier? I don't know. I just think there's a chance he does stay just because this is not going to be a normal coaching carousel because people aren't going to fire people because people are strapped for cash. And there, you can be selective. There's so much nuance with Freeze, right? And, and we won't stay on this too long. There's so much nuance because it's like, yes, I, you know, me, the Ole Miss fan, I said Ole Miss should not hire back Hugh Freeze for obvious reasons. I did not say Hugh Freeze is a bad football. Like anyone pretending Hugh Freeze is a bad football coach, I have no words for that. Like, this dude is an offensive genius, and I think it continues to get shown every week. It makes no sense to me, the, the people that think this guy can't coach at a high level. Now, does he do a lot of stupid things? Sure, absolutely. I, and and I'm not going to, you know, deny that. But, man, watching this guy call football plays, it's, he's really, really good. He's won everywhere he's gone. I mean, that you can't dispute that. 
He won at Lambeth. Do you even yeah. know what that is? It's it's not even a school anymore. Uh, literally. Really, Lambeth is. I have a, a an aunt that went to Lambeth. It's gone. I'm pretty sure it's gone. Yeah, um, I could uh, be wrong. The football program I know is gone. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I just keep – like, I see Twitter fights all the time about people talking about Hugh Freeze isn't a good football coach. I'm like, what are you people watching? <laughs> like, this dude just wins football games. You know, he's a great person. No, he's not. Um, and should he ever come back to Ole Miss in, in any other fashion besides an opposing coach? Absolutely not. But, like, I, I just – Okay. So, to not to, no, no, to add on to this conversation, if we're going to get off in the weeds on this, while I was playing golf yesterday, this conversation came up. If Ole Miss had not hired Lane Kiffin and Matt Luke is one in six at this point, the stars are kind of aligning for what I you just could, alluded to. I could humor it. Like, if that's the case, and, and it's pandemic year, and it's, you know, we don't have a ton of money, and look, I, I don't think they do it, and I wouldn't fault them for not doing it, but. I don't think it'd be a bad move if that's the case. Now, look, thank God it's not. Just thank God it's not. Because, um, boy, that would be a mess. Uh, yeah, I would have, like, a fun, like, a fun little, like, scavenger hunt game would be finding who in the athletic department quits immediately upon learning that game. But... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's neither here nor hey, there. Hey, wait, but... one more thing. Can I, if, you know, Leach sucks next year, can we get him at Mississippi State? Look, if, okay, so that's a whole other conversation because if you're objective, why would you not want him if you're a Mississippi State other than the cult version of that fan base that um, views him as equal with, like, Lucifer? So, yeah, like, you know, no. yeah, it's not happening. But, like, you know, if college football fandom was not cultish, you would probably be smart to welcome it. I mean, I would I would hire him if I were John Cohen because if I'm John Cohen, I've, I've hired two football coaches and – one failed and one looks well on his way to failing. So, well, and uh, my, this also was another golf course conversation yesterday too. It's like, well, if Leach gets the full three, four years or whatever and fails He's miserably, not. Cohen's probably out the door with him. Yeah, and and well, I, I man, look, you see that offense, and and here's the like, I don't even think it's a secret anymore. You don't get three or four years anymore, right? Like, Joe Mo and and Luke got two, and they were can. Um, you don't get three or four. And I think if they struggle next year, and I think pretty good possibility they do, I don't think Leach is the coach there in 2021 unless they have a pretty good – or 2022, excuse me, uh, unless they have a pretty good year next year, which I guess they could. I don't necessarily see that, though. I agree. I agree. But uh, steering this thing back on the tracks, <laughs> Elijah Moore, three straight 200-yard game or three 200-yard games, back-to-back 225-yard games. <laughs> Just kind of absurd what he's doing. But I thought the story of this game was what Ole Miss did behind him, right? The other guys. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Braylon Sanders has a big night. Um, Henry Paris comes in and gets some solid carries. Uh, Kenny Yaboa has a strong night. Yeah, man, look, that's that's what makes Elijah Moore good, right? Is because it's just not him. Like, you have to account for a lot of different skill players in the offense. thought the offensive line played extremely well, too. Uh, from a pass game perspective. So, yeah, man, that, that, that's what makes this offense really good is they they have guys that you can't just take your focus away from a lot or put your focus on a lot more because they're going to beat you elsewhere too. And it's really just a matter of Ole Miss having the guys behind them to get it done, right? That was kind of the storyline this year. You knew more 
was very good and was going to be other. I don't even know if you could have guessed he was going to have this level of production. I think that's a testament to how this competent coaching staff uses him in creative ways, particularly out of the backfield. But anyway, it was the guys behind it. What was going to happen? And tonight's really the first time Braylon Sanders had to be especially satisfying for that kid. His first 100 yard game since September of 2018. A kid that early on in his career cracked a really talented rotation and put up respectable numbers for a freshman with DK Metcalf, Demarcus Lodge, and A.J. Brown on the roster. And has really just been plagued by injuries for the last year and a half. And it's been really unfortunate because he is, as you saw last night, a significant deep threat and very shorthanded. He had that one catch that was slightly behind him for the sticks on a fourth down um, from Corral that was a hell of a catch that he made look very easy. So that had to have been satisfying for him last night. Obviously, Moore is great, but I thought the story of the receiving core last night was him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he's replacing Jonathan Mingo, right, who's, who's hurt and doesn't get to play last night. Um, it just has a big night. That's what I was saying. I mean, they've got weapons all over the place. I mean, Snoop Connor doesn't even have a great night last night, and, and you know, you're still able to put up this kind of num- these kind of numbers. It's crazy, man, and, and it's fun to watch just from a schematic standpoint because they, they do a lot of the same things out of different formations. They, they present a lot of things to the defense that makes it hard, but – there's, there's some staples of this offense that I feel like they're really, really good at. Um, so, man, it's from a coaching perspective, they, they've done a masterful job on the offensive side of the football, uh, being able to scheme some of these guys open. Because, right, like, think about it with a lot more. You know going into a game, the de- opposing defense's plan is, okay, we're going to take Elijah Moore away, and we're going to do whatever we have to do to do that. And they can't do it. Like, that, that's just a testament to Kiffin and Lebby and what they're able to do to get that guy the football and get him open, knowing good and well that the defense is, is keying on him and trying to stop him, and they just can't. Yeah, no, I, I could not could not agree more. And then, like, you have Drummond who caught a touchdown and was right. a factor. I think he cut four catches or something like that for 40 yards. Like, that's not gaudy numbers, but when – like you were saying, when Moore's running wild all over the field, there's only so many catches to be had. Yeah, it's like Kiffin said after the game. This isn't Little League. When you have LeBron, you get him the ball. Um, and, and he's Ole Miss's LeBron right now. Um, but those other guys being as good as they are what allows him to do that because you can't singularly focus on him. I've seen offenses where you have a really good receiver and you can roll the safety over the top because the other guys stink. Um, that is not the case here. Agreed. It's uh, it, it, it the way that him using him out of the backfield and just the amount of ways they get in the ball and get him in space because outside of route running and pass catching, he's incredibly quick. And Ole Miss clearly did not utilize that last year. They were very vanilla in how they got more of the ball, and the fact that he was as productive, being the only option in a really just crappy offense, is almost almost as as impressive as what he's doing this year. But it was, like you mentioned, Mingo hurt, but you saw Drummond and you saw Braylon Sanders really kind of fill that void behind Moore. And if you can have a healthy Braylon Sanders running deep a decent bit of the time, that's going to make this offense much better. You just haven't been able to see it because the dude hasn't, couldn't, can't catch a break from a health standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, he's a really good player. Like you said, he gets on the Metcalf and AJ Brown, so uh, really good player, and then he really helped Ole Miss last night. That 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 was impressive to watch him step in for Jonathan Mingo and have that type of night. He's a he's he's a really good player, and look, you got him for two more years, right? He's just a junior, and this year doesn't count. Um, so yeah, you got the kid for two more years, and and he's going to be vital for the because I think Ole Miss in the next two years is going to have a lot of fun. Um, I think eventually Kiffin gets this defensive side of the football to respectable. 
And, man, I don't really see the downturn of the offense going too far because I think you're going to have Corral next year and he's going to put up gaudy numbers. I think whatever quarterback that uh, they have in 2022, whether it's Altmaier or Kincaid Dan or whoever, will put up respectable numbers. And then there's a guy coming in that I think's coming in. Let me let me preface that from New Orleans with the last name of Manning that, that I think they're going to do some special things with. Some R type. Yeah, he threw five touchdowns in a quarter the other night, didn't he? Yeah, he he look, he's a high school kid and and I don't want to like put a ton of pressure or, you know, overstep my boundaries here, but man, that kid looks awesome. I watched him in the uh, game they had on ESPN. That kid looks awesome. So, uh nice uh yeah, so down the line there's some huge potential offensively for Ole Miss at the quarterback position, but having the kind of steady shorthanded guy and talented dude in Corral from Kiffin's first couple of years to kind of set a foundation is, uh, I mean, dare I say it is a little similar. He's way, I mean, he's more talented, I think, than Bo Wallace, but it's kind of a Wallace to Kelly type thing in terms of just having a string of pretty damn good years at quarterback. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you think about it, Wallace to Kelly to, uh, you know, Shea Patterson for like 30 seconds. And then from a hype out. standpoint, it was the same. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they broke one of Shea Patterson's records last night. And it could not have made me happier. I'm sure he's playing in the spring league. I turned that on Is the other day by that? accident. Yeah, he's so not. He's, he's the, not being a G in the NFL. He is not being a G in the NFL. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So take that to Facebook. Anyway, outside of that, Ole Miss didn't like I mentioned earlier. Didn't run the ball particularly well. They were fine. They ran it when they had to. Sure. But South Carolina did cause some problems. Like Ole Miss was not very good run blocking wise. South Carolina's defensive line was pretty. Uh, pretty disruptive, particularly early on in the game. You could tell it kind of made Ole Miss think twice about kind of running in some short-yarded situations where Ole Miss made most of their hay in this game running when South Carolina dropped eight in coverage to try to kind of confuse Corral. You'd like to see a little more consistently there. You know, Ely scores two touchdowns, 17 carries, 84 yards. It was fine, but I imagine if you ask Kiffin, and they may have asked him, I didn't watch the entire presser last night, he'd probably want a little more consistency there. Sure, sure, and because of the success you've had in your running game in the past. Look, it wasn't a bad night, if you said. I mean, 4.2 yards per carry, that's perfectly fine. Um, but they've been kind of absurd, um, you know, running the football. So, yeah, I mean, I thought Ole Miss – I thought South Carolina's defensive line presented some problems, and they did. But I thought Ole Miss did a really good job in pass protection, and, and that allowed, you know, obviously them to be able to do some things down the field. So, um, it's tough to tough to be great all the time in all facets of the game. So, uh, I think they have a. I think they're able to run the football against Mississippi State well. I don't look. State's defense is is pretty good, but I don't think they contain the run really well. Um, so if you're able to run the football on them, then you're going to open up a lot of different things for the passing game. And if you do that, I, I look. I, I don't want to do an Egg Bowl preview because it's not official that the next game is the Egg Bowl, but I don't necessarily think that Mississippi State's offense is going to be able to score. Uh, a ton, even as bad as Ole Miss's defense is. And I do think Ole Miss is going to be able to put up a good many points in that game. State struggled to score on Vanderbilt after two it did. drives. And I think Ole Miss's defense is better than Vanderbilt's. I would say that. so, too. But what a uh, – that's probably an argument best framed by which defense is worse. Uh, but anyway, I, I agree. So, you know, offensively, you really can't complain about hardly anything. The uh, – the clipboard toss was absolutely incredible. It, did you see it in live action? I did, but I didn't. Un, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what that was on the screen. Um, yeah, no, I did not see it um, in the stadium. But 
Oh, yeah, you were there. You were not watching on TV. Yeah. That's right. I saw it on the screen, but I was like, I just, you know, sometimes you have, like, trash floating up in the air if it's windy. I didn't I didn't even pay much attention to it until they replayed, and I was like, oh, that was a clipboard. Yeah, I, I noticed it. I knew, I, knew, I knew something was thrown from the sideline. I couldn't tell what, and then I started seeing it on Twitter what it was and just started cackling. And then he does it again. Yes. <laughs> he did it again. <laughs> He, he did do it again. He's uh, he's no, nothing. He's having fun, which is nice. But I imagine he has less fun talking about defense than he does offense, which is probably a fairly decent transition. Uh, as good as Ole Miss was offensively, they were abhorrent against the run defensively. And really, like we alluded to earlier, the way this game turned is when South Carolina, like, you know, Ole Miss does get the one big stop to their credit to help them extend the lead to 10. But where the game turned is when South Carolina was no longer afforded the time or the score to run the ball methodically down the field and had to throw because Colin Hill is not very good. And Ole Miss's secondary played pretty well. But let's just start with the with the worst. The defensive line in run fits is was was horrible. That kid, the Harris kid averaged 9.7 yards a rush. That's almost the first down a rush. Uh, they're god awful. Um, the linebackers were god awful last night. Um, there, there's a linebacker that, and I don't like calling kids out by name. There, there's a linebacker that plays on Ole Miss's team that um, has just gotten. I, I don't know how he's gotten so much worse over the past year, but my God, he has. Um, they don't take good angles, uh, which I think is a little bit. I don't want to get too far off into DJ Durkin because he doesn't have a ton to work with. I do think you can improve a defense's ability to have a pursuit angle at some point in time. Um, Ole Miss has absolutely horrid angles. They don't set edges. It's bad, man. It, it's it's the worst. Look, Crom Dog had a lot of bad defenses, but Crom Dog had a little bit more talent than this too. Um, but this defense is it's up there with seventeen and eighteen bad, and and those were god awful. Yes, it, it is definitely up there with 17 and 18 bad. And to your point, things can be true at once. Ole Miss is going to fix and rebuild their defense through recruiting. They need sure. more talent everywhere, and they need a lot more of it, and they need more depth. But at the same time, from last year, they have regressed as a tackling team. They've regressed in terms of fits and the angles they take, as you alluded to, which does fall on coaching no matter who you're working with. But at the same time, you know, these dudes didn't get them on the field in pads until like August. And so, no, and, go yeah, ahead. go ahead. I was just saying, I, I I don't want, like, people think I'm saying fire DJ Durkin. No, no, I don't think it's like you should fire DJ Durkin. I think he's doing fine. It's just, I don't necessarily think this is all talent. Like, I think you look out there and not many people have improved. I think, you know. Jalen Jordan has improved. I think A.J. Finley has improved. And I don't really think anybody else has gotten a whole hell of a lot better since the first game of the year. It's really all in the secondary. I thought Keedron Smith was pretty good last night, but he was already pretty good. Yeah, he's fine. But other than that, it's like, can I expect somebody to get a little better? Maybe I can't. Maybe, Maybe the talent is so bad that you can't expect that. And okay, if that's the case. But man, it just doesn't feel like anybody's getting any better. Yeah, I mean, it's undoubted. Like, Ole Miss last year, and maybe it was kind of the simplicity of the scheme because that's what McIntyre was hired to do. It was like, I don't really care how this looks. Fix it, even if you don't have to – like, even if you can't run a whole lot. Like, just fix it. And they were a simple scheme. They played well in it, 
and they were more often in the right position. The example I always like to use is you've seen it at times this year, and you definitely saw it in 18 when a guy catches a pass uh, and there's no one within an entire TV length of him <laughs> or when the running back you know, goes 15 to 20 yards downfield before he's touched, which happened how many times last night? There was a, one of his touchdown runs. He scored five touchdowns. The kid ran for five touchdowns and 200-something yards, 240-something. But yeah. there was a 40-yard touchdown run where I don't think he was touched the entire time. It was down the far sideline. <laughs> and I, I seriously don't think a finger was laid right. on him the entire time. Yeah, and, and and that's my gripe. It's like, yes, I, I have seen bad defense before. I, I don't hold necessarily bad defense against coaches. I do kind of hold the fact that pursuit angles in week seven are still bad. Um, and nobody's really gotten much better outside of the few players that we mentioned. And again, let me reiterate, saying someone should fire DJ Durkin is insane. I just think there's some things that Ole Miss's defense could do a little bit better, even with the lack of talent. And, and if that's, you know, taboo to say, then so be it. I just I don't necessarily think it's all 100 percent a talent issue. No, it's not. And how much of that is, though, not having them in the spring or really throughout the summer in sure. terms of like normalcy at all? Like it, you got to gauge it with, a, you know, with the with some nuance. But at the same time, it is not just talent. They have regressed from a coaching standpoint and tackling and some of the fundamentals. Now, whether that's on the staff completely or just a lack of time or this weird year. That's remember, sure. defense was ravaged in the preseason with COVID. Like, yeah, they, you absolutely. know, the offense was so far ahead, but they were playing kids both ways and it went more on the defensive side of the ball than offense. So, you know, if next year they're still terrible when it comes to tackling and angles and all that, then you probably have a problem on your hands um, or at least a, a budding one. I just I acknowledge that, that that it is true. I just I wrestle with how much how significant this is given the context of the season, I guess. Yeah, no, I, and, and I do, too. I just think anybody just, you know, simplifying it as, you know, it's all talent. It's like, no, this team could be a little better on defense, even discussing the talent level as bad as it is. Um, again, I want to make clear. I'm not saying Ole Miss should fire DJ Durkin because they shouldn't. I just, uh, again, think that, you know, when you look at last year's defense, there's some guys that are as not near as good of football players as they were last year. Um, and, you know, maybe Benito Jones, Josiah Coatney, and, and others helped with that. Um, but I don't know. It, it, it's frustrating to watch week in and week out them continue to take the same poor pursuit angles. Well, so that's what, that was an interesting, like, I guess, like a macro point that I was going to get to later, but we could go ahead and address it now. If you're a viewer, you know, everyone talks about how fun all this is to watch. And I'm not necessarily even disputing that claim, I guess, for the for, but like, it is kind of frustrating in the sense that every time Ole Miss – like, if you're a fan watching this, I imagine it would be very frustrating that every time you're watching this, it's like, okay, like, scored seven. Like, like that's kind of like, okay, checked one box off. Now let's see if they allow seven or three here. Like, every yeah. single time down the field. What is Ole Miss fans going to do when – when they get a defense that strings together like two three and outs in a row or something like people yeah. might go blind well i mean man look let's just keep this real if they're able to keep up this offensive production and get a defense that is decent um they're going to win at a really really high level now that's a heck of a lot easier said than done um but man this offense that it's right now you're not stopping it so if you get a defense that's just average, man, you're going to win eight, nine games a year. But again, 
easier said than done to, to keep up this offensive performance and get a defense that's serviceable. Yeah, totally agree there. And then, it, it, you know, the linebacker's not very good either. And oh. I know you mentioned the one guy. You know, looking at Henry's been good. He's always at the top of Ole Miss tackling list. He's pretty like, – left some stuff left to be desired in coverage, but he's always around the ball. You know, Ole Miss is just not really getting a ton from Jacquez Jones and Momo Sonogo on a consistent basis either. Momo hasn't looked consistently the same since that injury last year against Arkansas. Yeah, yeah. I was actually referring to Lakia uh, when I was talking. I, I just – Man, he 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 gets he overruns plays so often to me, and, and I think like there was a play last night where the the kid, uh, what, what's the kid's name from Carolina, the running back, um, Kevin Harris. Harris, like we, he just overruns a simple uh, dive play, and he cuts it back and takes it seventy yards. It's just like, how is this still happening in week seven? But yeah, no, look, the linebackers aren't good. Um, I think they're the least not good unit on your team right now. Well, I say that. The secondary has gotten a touch better. I think Tyler Knight is fine. Um, I've said Jalen Jordan has gotten better. I think A.J. Finley has gotten better. So, yeah, it's it's the front seven is is probably your biggest problem right now. And, and they don't really help your secondary out, right? Because if you're having to overload the box to be able to stop the run, well, you can't really just play up in a wide receiver's face because he makes one move and beats you and, oh, look, there's six. So the secondary has, I think, gotten better. It's just that the front seven is so bad that it limits what they can do. Yeah, I agree. But, like, the linebacking core has been okay, but they haven't been the difference-making group that I think the rest of the defense needed them to be because you knew the defensive line was going to suck. You didn't – you thought the secondary would be better, and it took a few games, but, you know, know, playing against Kyle Trask and Kyle Kyle Pitts, your first game is not exactly the uh, the easiest barometer – uh, in terms of like gauging where they are in improvement. But the linebackers have not really been difference makers. Like even if the defensive line sucked, you'd think if you had a pretty strong linebacking court, you'd be a little better against the run than you are. Yeah, yeah, and, and you're not. I mean, uh, South Carolina, to be honest, threw it a little bit too much last night, in my opinion. I know you had to at the end, but they were chunking the ball on the first quarter. I'm like, what are you doing? Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, the linebackers aren't good, and the defensive line is is – Man, it just is what it is right now. Um, so you you hope over the next three games, right? You probably four because I think this team goes to a bowl game. Um, you just kind of hope that that it that it improves some um, because I don't think you're going to add. A, look, I, look, they're going to add JUCO guys, and I figure transfers and Otis Reese will help next year. I don't think the defense is going to be a ton better next year. Um, you know, as far as talent goes. So I think you're just hoping you get some improvement out of this group and you can put them on the field next year and they're at least serviceable. Agree. And then the back half of the defensive, the the defensive, uh, I guess, discussion is, I thought the secondary was pretty good. Now, Colin Hill is not very good. They opened up the quarterback competition per se this week. They went with Hill. But, you know, South Carolina, other than Shai Smith, really lacks explosiveness. So take it with a grain of salt. But Finley had a nice pick and they had eight pass breakups. Yeah, um, I thought, look, I, I said it earlier, I think the defensive secondary is getting better. Um, but when you're so bad up front, it limits how much better you can be, right? Because, yeah, you can't really, you know, get up in a wide receiver's face and stop the eight-yard out route because you have to overload the box and, you know, you have to bring safeties down and run support and that type of thing. So, it, yes, I think they're getting better, even though that I don't necessarily think it's going to show up too much in the stat book. Yeah, agree. 
And like, like you said, Ole Miss was actually decent in the pass rush. It's just South Carolina didn't have to throw uh, hardly at all. Got the big sack with Ryder Anderson that really pretty much shifted the course of the game. But make no mistake about it, if the Ole Miss offense had slipped up at all in the first half, he'd had a bad turnover that gave South Carolina a short field and seven points, you know, stalled out for two, three drives in a row. South Carolina probably wins the game because they're able to ball control the second half. And, you know, when your running back's averaging 9.5 yards a rush, I I think I like your chances of actually, you know, being successful controlling the clock. Well, the I ball. mean, it's, you know, Corral has the bad fumble at the end of the first half and you think, oh, God they're going to go score and be up at halftime. And, you know, lucky for Ole Miss. i tell you what, that got overlooked, too. They, they had a big stop right there, the they three did. and out. And uh, Luke Logan makes a field goal, a whole 23-yarder. Um, good board. Um, I was losing my mind. Luke the leg. I was, I was losing my mind as the poor kid wasn't getting out of bounds there at the end of the half. i tell you what, though. I think it was a 21-yarder. I was a little shocked he didn't just go for it. I was a little yes. shocked. Uh, I agree, but hey, at least he's, he saw one go through the upright. How in the we never we glossed right over this because it didn't prove to be consequential or too consequential because of the way the game turned out and because of Ole Miss defense getting a stop. How in the world was that ruled uh, a South Carolina's possession? How was that definitive that that kid was inbounds of possession? I didn't. I think there was no um, replay on TV that showed that. The, and there, I walked there, away for a second, and I was like, wasn't a replay definitively that showed it. I thought live, though, he did drag his foot. Um, and I thought it was pretty evident live, honestly. Um, but, you know, there, there, I went back and watched some of the game last night. There was no replay that said that was definitive. So how do you overturn it with those replays? I don't know. But I do, I do think they got the call right. I just think the process they went about to get the call right was wrong. Um, because it was pretty clear to me there that, that he did get it down. But, again, that's not how the rule is supposed to work. There was no definitive angle that showed that, and you overturn it. But I tell you what, that I couldn't tell about the fumble um, that they ruled down by South Carolina, but that ball appeared to be moving before his knee hit the ground. I didn't say it was out, but it appeared to be moving before his knee hit the ground that Ole Miss recovered at the goal line. Yeah, I'm just done understanding college replay. Like, NFL is not a ton better, but at least you can guess most of the time which way they're going. But, like, college replay, I don't understand it all. Like, when, I, when I'm sure of one thing, it, they rule the other way. I just – I've done understanding it. I can't imagine being a coach that, you know, has to use a challenge with the timeout on the line or whatever just to have it go to basically a kangaroo court. I don't understand it. That would frustrate the hell out of me if I was yeah. a coach. Here's I would get thing. fined a lot more if I made $5 million a year too. Here's the thing about replay. I hate the premise of – I honest to God hate this. I hate the premise of – um, the call on the field is, you know, what we're basing this off of, right? Like, no, I think when we send it to replay, let's send it to replay and make the call. There's no call on the field. What we go look at in the replay is what we call, because otherwise, why aren't we sending it to replay? You know, like, yeah, because you're I, trying to prove a different outcome as opposed to be objective exactly. and open, open minded, exactly, exactly. I guess. So if we're going to send this to replay, let's watch it on replay and make the call. There's no call on the field. Doesn't matter what they call it on the field. You don't even have to make a call on the field in some situations. Just send it to replay and let's make the call. But I hate having to have definitive proof that the call on the field was wrong to overturn something. Agree. Could not agree more. Any other uh, any other thought we missed before we get out of here and watch the NFL games and the end no. of the Masters? What a sports day. Yeah. Well, how? Oh, okay, I'll be honest. I've kept up none with the Masters. Uh, give me like a, I don't know, 60-second update. So Dustin Johnson started with the four-shot lead. Uh, it's 
trimmed to one pretty quickly after that. And then I have actually not been keeping up as we've been recording this, but he's a uh, two or three ahead. Uh, let me look it up real quick. And there's four or five guys close behind him. So it's kind of like a, will he hold on type of thing? And how, I don't was, know where they're at now. How was, how was Tiger played? Tiger played. Okay. I mean, he, he okay. started off pretty well. He's 500 after 36 holes and kind of hit a wall on the weekend. Did not play awful. But uh, shout out to Mississippi native Andy Ogletree from Little Rock, Mississippi, kind of around the Meridian-ish area. Okay. Won the U.S. Amateur last year, got invited to the Masters, and got paired with Tiger the first two days. Was four over through his first four holes, held it together, and almost shot even par. So he played three under in his last uh, 14 holes, I guess it is, 13 holes, 14. And then shoots two under on Friday and made the weekend. So he made the cut playing with Tiger Woods where, after a horrible start. Where did he slash does he go to school? He just gra- he just left Georgia Tech and is about to turn professional. So he went to Georgia Tech. He went to Georgia Tech. Okay. So is he playing as a professional or as an amateur? He is playing as an amateur because he won the U.S. Amateur, which gives you an exemption into the Masters. And okay. so if he would have turned pro – he would not have this exemption because they would. He would have to have played this as an amateur, if that makes sense. Okay, no, that does make sense. Okay, well, that so, was smart. Yeah. yeah. So shout out to him. Quite, quite the sports day we have going ahead. But uh, Ole Miss beat South Carolina 59-42. I think we covered just about everything and even got a uh, officiating rant in there at the end. Yeah, and talked about you free some. Um, so I think look, do we do we, if we have a uh, game next week? I guess we'll have a podcast. But I don't suspect Ole Miss is going to have a game. Agree. So hang tight on the programming coverage. The next time Ole Miss plays a game, we will be here. For Colin Brister, I'm Brian Scott Rippey. Appreciate it, dude. Absolutely. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.